Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for being with us this hour on The Takeaway. I'm Todd Zwillick. As the Me Too movement continues to develop and solidify in American society, what do we make of some of the art and popular culture that suddenly feels pretty outdated? We asked you. Any movie or TV show that shows a man relentlessly pursuing a woman who has repeatedly refused him or expressed that she has no interest. Casablanca. The Rodney Dangerfield movie, Ladybug. I don't really want to watch Louie anymore. Master of None. The Animal House, The Revenge of the Nerds. So I feel like I can't enjoy any pop culture at this moment right now. Like, everything I watch is either creepy because of the terminology and the storyline and the language used, or it's creepy because it actually is made by someone now exposed of being a sexual assaulter or sexual harasser, and it's everywhere. That's Jessica Bennett of the New York Times. Every week, Jessica and Koa Beck of Jezebel join us to talk about gender issues and the Me Too movement. And this week, Jessica and Koa talk about consuming culture and art at a time when suddenly a lot of it might look and sound really different. Like, how about this beloved wintry holiday song? Neighbors might think, but baby, it's bad out there. Say what's in this drink? No cabs to be had out there. So what's in this drink? I ought to say no, no, no. I mean, that is literally the script of a sexual assault. <laughs> It's packaged in this really lovely, like, warm-feeling, nice Mm -hmm. holiday song. And has clearly been consumed for a long time as simply that. You don't even notice in some ways. So I think to some extent perhaps we are looking at culture that has been around for a really long time and not been questioned so much in new ways. Um, I was flipping through channels the other day and the film, the Judd Apatow film, Superbad came on. Slapstick, Mm -hmm. everyone loves it, funny guys, blah, 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 blah. And literally the entire premise of that film is like two dorky kids getting ready to go to college who want to sleep with women before they do. I should buy Becca alcohol? Yeah, and we pimp. That way you know she'll be drunk. How much alcohol will they have to feed the girls in order to get them to be blackout drunk enough to have sex with them. Mm-hmm. Slash rape them. Right. When you guys are this at the party, you get with her. It's everywhere. Are you noticing this, Koa? My wife makes fun of me for this, but I enjoy romantic comedies because <laughs> generally speaking, nobody is going to be raped or sexually harassed. But that's not even a statement that I can you know, completely get behind right. because there are exceptions. There's a, a, a number of movies that I've started to watch and then it deviates into this sort of charming sexual harassment plot, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, here's a woman who has a job, um, but there's this like really flirtatious guy that keeps bothering her. And then the plot develops. And and this is for American films as well as international films, Mm -hmm. where then it's like the rest of the plot is basically her being sexually harassed, but it's cute and funny. And it gets coded as like a very annoying, but, you know, nevertheless, endearing plot point, which I also have no tolerance for and don't want to see. Everything from that to the James Bond films, you know, like the mm-hmm. the entire premise of those again and again, and not just in the titles of the characters like Pussy Galore, is that he is sort of forcefully getting women to desire him. I'm not interested. Let's go. What would it take for you to see things my way? A lot more than you've got. How do you know? I don't want to know. 
and in some cases physically pinning them down after they say no again and again. And then eventually they relent. And that's sort of like how he gets his way. Now let's both play. And that's a celebrated cultural narrative. I mean, James Bond is considered the sleekest, most gentlemanly, aspirational cultural figure for men. And I think that's another disturbing facet of this is that there's women and other marginalized genders consuming this. But what are men taking away from these conversations and these celebrated figures who pin women down after they decline or who need their boundaries tested? allegedly through the, these narratives. I have been re-watching uh, Sex in the City, and um, my wife and I were watching an episode uh, fairly recently, and it was the one where Carrie is in the Vogue offices with her older male editor, um, and he takes her into the accessories closet after she's completed a very difficult assignment, and she's very besotted with the shoes, and he calls out to her, and all of a sudden she turns a corner, and he's in his Versace underwear. Oh! oh. What do you think? I'm just showing you these briefs. Well, don't. Julian, pull your pants up. Oof, look at you and those Mary Janes. Stop. The way that that scene ends is with a very assertive, pull your pants up now. Pants up. Show some respect. This is Vogue. She takes charge of the conversation and he relents, uh, which I also think is a very difficult narrative to force in this and that the the onus is truly on her and that the expectation as a viewer is that Carrie will take charge and end this encounter, uh, which as we've been seeing across real news reports, not all women are in a position to dictate an encounter like that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I don't even remember that episode of Sex and City. Like it was not memorable to me despite mm-hmm. loving that show and having watched it over and over and over again. Like that that must have just seemed so normal. But what do we take away from that? Like can we just not enjoy pop music or R&B or film? <laughs> I don't know what I'm allowed to enjoy anymore. <laughs> I don't think the answer to this can be as simplistic as we can't enjoy it, but I do think we need to recognize it. And so asking people to develop more complicated relationships with the culture they consume, I think is well warranted, especially when you consider, as we've talked about in other segments, Jessica, the hands that have shaped this culture, mm-hmm. um, particularly when you see like Woody Allen's archive of films right. and how he's definitely contributed this entire, uh, what's the best way to frame this? Narrative of coercion. Yeah, narrative of coercion, because this is the conversation that I do think needs needs to happen. If you contribute economically to this opening weekend or you make a point to give filmmakers these dollars, you are perpetuating those narratives. This is a decision I've made in that I uh, like certain Woody Allen films, but long ago I decided that I would not see Woody Allen in theaters Mm -hmm. because I do not want him to have my money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And that maybe getting more distance as I consume certain narratives of his while also not giving him my money is a line that consumers need to be more aware of in in terms of where your money goes. Um, But I also respect people who refuse to watch Woody Allen films and refuse to even allot him or his creativity any space in cultural conversations or in uh, their cultural archives too. So I think there are a lot of personal ways into this issue that can be impactful 
but also be tailored to people's experiences within this issue. I mean, I have women in my life who um, have been assaulted or harassed and uh, don't engage with whole facets of this culture because Mm -hmm. they know going in what the narrative is going to be. I also respect that decision. I think that one thing that's interesting is as so many of these men have fallen from powerful roles, as we've talked about before, it is actually women replacing them. Mm -hmm. And so to what extent will having – the women be behind the cameras, the women creating the narratives, the women deciding the nuance of the interaction, the workplace interaction or the romance scene or the love scene actually change the way we see some of these subtleties. Mm-hmm. I think we have to keep talking about these things. We have to keep pointing it out. Like it may, in fact, make culture hard to enjoy at this moment in time, mm-hmm. but it's important. Jessica Bennett is gender editor for The New York Times and author of Feminist Fight Club. And Koa Beck is editor-in-chief of Jezebel. They join the program every week, and you can find all of Jessica and Koa's conversations at thetakeaway.org slash memos. I'm Jennifer from Colorado Springs, Colorado. About the Me Too movement, it wasn't the Me Too movement that changed my perception of pop culture. It was the moment I became one of the Me Too women and realized how pervasive casual misogyny and casual assault is in pop culture. This is Wally from Hampton Bays, New York. My wife and I recently watched Casablanca. And boy, my favorite character, Captain Renault, played by the great Claude Rains, just comes off as a sleazeball, taking underage women into the back, using them for his own gains. It did not age well in the Me Too moment. Movies that I enjoyed in the 80s, and I honestly still quote today, like Animal House or Revenge of the Nerds, include depictions that many would have to agree today are assaults on women. That, while titillating then, I now see an entirely different light today. Hi, this is Peggy from St. Petersburg, Florida. I don't think my perception of our culture has somehow changed, although movies with strong women and with women of color are on the uptick, and I am so glad for that. Your voices on pop culture and art in the moment of Me Too in America, we always want to hear from you. Give us your take at 8778 my take you can reach us on twitter this is the takeaway